0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Feudal Future Podcast. I'm Marshall Toplansky. I'm Joel Kotkin. And today we are so fortunate to have Dr. Daniele Strupa, who is a globally renowned mathematician and president of Chapman University. Daniele, welcome. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Well, today we want to explore the topic of uh, GPT three chat gpt these these large language models and generative uh ai technologies and and what their implications are to humanity. Uh it's really a huge topic. Joel, you want to start us off?
1: Yeah, I mean I one of the reasons I I'd, I'd like we wanted to have Daniele and and to you know to talk about this is he has the rare um qualification of being both a mathematician and also um a humanist with a classical education, I can only I can only say I only have half of that. I have the classical part. I, I wouldn't use my math skills for anything. um, But I think that the the question we really want to ask, are we have we lost? Are the, OK, uh, the question I really want to ask is with the with the growth of these new uh, artificial intelligence platforms, um. Are we seeing a threat to the the very nature of humanity? Are, are we are we headed to the kind of future you know the, that Harari and others have talked about, in which you know humans become a subset of mathematics?
2: <laughs> well, that's that's a great question, a very provocative question. Uh, first of all, I'll I, I answer with one word, and then I'll, I'll elaborate a little bit. I think the answer is no. I am really not very worried, to be honest. I think as technology advances, we always feel the this tension about uh, being replaced. So I remember when I was a kid and uh, I am dating myself a little bit, but the first hand calculator came about. And my professor would say, Wow, well, ah, the calculator, you're gonna learn, you're gonna forget how to to do simple operation, which to some extent is true, but that, obviously that doesn't really destroyed our society. And I remember as a kid, one of the thing we learned in school, was to take the square root of numbers. I will give you a big number, six or seven digits, and you calculate the square root. There was an algorithm. Now, to be honest, if I had to do it now, I would have to think about it. I don't remember the algorithm. But that has not taken away anything from me. So I think the first thing is to sort of chill, realize that technology will continue to advance and uh, and there will be other things in which we can establish our humanity. Now, one of the things that uh, is interesting is that there are kind of two ways in which people look at this new uh, artificial intelligence. Some people look at it with fear. Some people look at it with glee. And I'm always surprised, especially by the glee component. Mm -hmm. So there is a fear, we're going to be replaced. Well, I I don't have that fear, and I can elaborate in a few minutes why I don't feel that I'm going to be replaced by a machine. But then there is a glee component. You know, when there was this competition recently and somebody won an art prize, with the with with the with the painting that was all made by artificial intelligence, I remember reading an article that concluded by saying, "Art is dead." Kind of almost like a triumphal thing. Yeah, we're finally going to be replaced by the machine. Well, that's it's a symptom of a of a sick society, but has nothing to do with reality. And the reason why it has not nothing to do with reality is because it's not what we know that distinguishes us. See, what the machine do, uh, let me tell you a brief experiment I made the other day. I'm a, I'm an expert on a specific topic in mathematics, and I don't want to bore your listener with that. But I put a question to the to the to the chat thing, and I asked to explain that topic. It was a great response, very good response, maybe 15, 20 lines in which you gave a good general idea of what this is. Then I asked to tell me some of the major players in that area and did a very good job. There were some mistakes and people had nothing to do with it, but by and large, that was a good set of references. And then I asked a key question. I said, what are the interesting questions that one should ask about this concept? And what the, the chat gave me was a little, very good, the responses were perfectly good, but there was stuff that was from articles. I knew all of what I was told because either I or some of my colleagues had written in some of our papers, it would be interesting to see whether One of these days, we'll try to understand what. But when I talk to a real mathematician, what distinguishes a good mathematician from a great mathematician is the capability of asking the good questions. And so today I was here with some colleagues here in Tel Aviv, and I asked the same question. And the question I heard, the answer I heard was completely different. So the reality is that our humanity is still alive and kicking. Of course, the machine can... Summarize a a large body of 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 literature very quickly, faster than any of us could do. But the question is still, how do you put that extra aspect, which is where the creativity comes into the picture? What is that?
0: That's where that is something I really want to explore because we are we moving into a good enough culture when it comes to intellectual rigor. You know, where the idea is, especially among among students at universities where you say to the computer, okay, give me everything that's been out there about XYZ topic, it comes back with a pretty good, you know, uh, uh, of uh, of uh, of uh, ex- pre-existing thought. And then people say, okay, well, good enough. Turn it in. Will that demotivate people to kind of take that extra step where creativity makes a huge difference? And you think out of the box.
2: Well, um, there is one quality that I always say is one of the few differentials between humans and animals. And I would say between humans and machines. And that difference is curiosity. And curiosity is the ultimate spur of creativity. So you can ask me a bunch of questions and you ask a bunch of questions to the machine. The machine will probably give you a better answer than me because I may not remember specifically maybe a date. I may not remember the right citation. (laughs) So I'm not going to compete with the machine in that. Just like I don't compete with cars when I run. Of course, the cars is going to run faster than me. And I don't feel that that's humiliating or is that denying my humanity. But where I excel and where I'd like our students to excel is curiosity. And that's actually something that us as university professors, but also the entire educational system need to look at ourselves. And we are not doing a good job. You ask any, you spend time with a four-year-old any four-year-old or five-year-old, and they're going to ask you the beautiful question. They're going to ask, why is the sky blue? You have a beautiful blue sky behind you. What makes it blue? Uh, Where is the water going when there are the the low tide? Uh, Why is gold shiny? Then kids get 20 years old. They still don't know the answer to this question, but don't ask the questions anymore. So what has changed is not that they know more. They don't know anything more, and they can find the answer to these three questions on the chat but they've lost the curiosity and curiosity was spurred the creativity because now when I want to really understand where the water goes with the tides, I have a first quick thing that is about the moon, but then I look into more detail and then I discover it's really complicated. And that's what draws me in. And that's where I get ideas that will eventually spur other innovations. For example, but could we use that to produce new energy? Could, could I take advantage of this gigantic movement of the way? So my, my comment here is that it is up to us to make sure that we don't use these tools to just uh, make us lazier than we need to be. And rather, we use them as a spurring. You know, I have all this access. That's great. I don't need to. I, you know, I, I can get all this information. And then I need to use my mind. Right. I mean, you
0: you think about the notion that, you know, that um, innovation is 1% inspiration and 99% perspiration. If you can kind of mitigate the the time it takes to go through the perspiring part, right, and pull out all of the existing data, maybe you could actually have more time for curiosity and inspiration. But I, I worry about it the same way you do in terms of, well, how many people will do that?
2: Well, I think that what probably is going to happen, I think, is going to be even more than it's now. You're going to have a smaller amount of people who are actually going to take the leadership in our society, and then a large amount of people that will just be replaceable and will just do more menial contribution to society. Well, That's what it, feudalism
0: yeah. alert, feudalism yes. alert. <laughs>
2: <laughs> this is something that uh, Ronnie
1: Alvavitz, who was our guest on our show, who's been involved with the metaverse raised the question that many of the jobs that will be eliminated will be the very people who are in the glee uh the glee about ai because you know they can be replaced, whereas the plumber, um, you know, is uh um, maybe the 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 nurse's aide in, in, in a hospital, the the carpenter is probably much less likely to be replaced than than the mid the mid-skilled tech worker.
2: Absolutely. No, I, there is certainly an entire group of workers that are not going to be replaced so easily. and But there is a large uh, aspect of society, that the gleeful people, I think, they will probably be replaced. Or at least, I, I wouldn't say replaced, but they will be given uh, service functions and they will not really be participant in our society at the highest level.
0: Yeah. You and, know, I you read know, an interesting article yesterday about <clears throat> the ability of GPT-3 to debug code. Mm-hmm. So there is a certain irony there that the people that created the code will be replaced by the machines that can do a better job of maintaining the code than they can.
2: <laughs> That's right. But you know, then the question will be: But you know, somebody's going to come up with uh, new languages, for example, new computer languages, and somebody's going to come up with different sort of way to apply them. Um, so I, I really, as I said. The fact that I don't know how to take the square root and I use the calculator hasn't diminished me. And I remember my professor, my advisor, when I was a young man, he was able to do certain calculations that were done at the beginning of the 20th century that I had no idea even existed. So this is not really a problem. I I think it's, uh, you know, the schools, are you know, there are articles in the newspaper where now universities are getting all worried about and cheating. Well, again, people cheat if you give them easily cheatable tests. And if you ask them questions that they can easily find on the web, but one of the quick answer is to just have an oral exam, like we do, for example, in Italy. Every exam is oral. Chapman, we have very small classes. That would not be a problem. You have fifteen kids. You give them a test, you know, an essay to write, and then you call them out and you discuss it.
0: Yeah, and and so, that we, you know. Where... We're in the intellectual we're in the intellectual curiosity business at Chapman. I mean, that's one of the things that I think distinguishes us. But I do wonder about what the implication of these technologies is on kind of the business model of of education, of of especially of university education. How much of I mean, for instance, professors like me, you know, are the biggest cost item in a university's PL. Um, if we can have fewer professors because we can teach them the basics using AI, would we do that?
2: Well, Uh, a model of that is kind of happening in a way already. But the reality is that a good university may delegate some basic stuff to machine learning. And I have no problem with that. In fact, I've always advocated that stuff like Math 100, where you teach people how to do multiply polynomials, divide polynomials, stuff like this. We really don't need teachers for that. It could be done in an automated fashion. The calculate the computer can not only give you problems, but also see what mistake you do and so give you different. We can do that. But where we then need people like you or like Joy or like myself is to do the next step, the questions. The, the the, the understanding of the global picture. That's what I think we are still irreplaceable. The the point is, we need to know that we need to be special in order to, to keep our job. If all we do is to teach little technical things, then we are useless and we might as well go home. The point is, what do I give my students in class? I am convinced that maybe I'm a little self-centered here that what I do in a class is not easily replaceable because the set of connection that I can establish is not something that it can easily done by an AI and I believe the same is true for the two of you but the thing that, that's
1: difficult um and it's hard to talk about um you know also because I'm not I'm not just a, a a teacher but I'm a father as well is we may have this excitement and we may want to bring it out like you know the opportunity of my students to, you know, to hear, um, you know, a Muslim and a Jewish uh, religious leader talking back and forth about issues. But what bothers me is that uh, is the lack of curiosity that I've just, and I don't know whether, like, like for instance, I know that my um, my youngest daughter was very was a tremendous reader. Then she got a phone. And now she's back to reading because she's going to a small liberal arts school, uh, Sarah Lawrence. But but the but the 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 issue of um, of being interested, you know, I I remember I, when I was teaching many years ago, kids would come. Oh, I'm really interested in that. Is there a book I should read about this? Or I didn't know about that. I find less and less of that. It, it, you think that's a that's a result of the fact that people are used to getting the answer by you know by googling it um and and therefore they no longer have that kind of curiosity
2: i don't know i mean uh sometimes i feel the way you do <clears throat> in fact uh, you know sometimes i really feel like the, the young people they don't have curiosity anymore but sometimes i feel that maybe it's just because i'm older and now i have a i have a warped perception of life <clears throat> The three of us have chosen a kind of intellectual activity that is not common. So we feel that our students don't tend to our standard, but but we shouldn't be thinking about that because not they don't necessarily want to become what we are. And for some of them, a more uh plain life in which there is no curiosity, there is it's it's perfectly fine. And I don't think they're gonna believe miserably because of that. I think they're not using life to the fullest extent. I think. We have been given an incredible machine, because this is a fantastic machine, and I enjoy using it. It's like having a Ferrari and you go to the shopping center to buy the bread. Well, you can do that. It's a kind of a pity, it's kind of a waste. You can use a Prius to go get the bread. The Ferrari, you want to go on you know PCH and hoping that there is no police looking at you, you're down, you know, looking at the at the ocean. But and I think that some, some people will do that. I, I think sometimes our age. Comes in the little bit in the in the middle and, and makes us think the things are worse than they really are. Um, so how
1: do we make them better? I mean, what you know, what steps can you know other people who are teaching um, at universities? What what can we do that's different uh, that supplements and works
2: with AI instead of uh, is crushed by it? So first of all, I think the solution is not in colleges. The solution is in first grade, mm. first grade, second grade, third grade the thing i've seen with my children you know i have four kids has been horrible and now i'm very happy because my two latest girls uh one is going now and the other went before to a uh, private school Pacifica Christian in in Newport Beach and they're getting the kind of education that i think they should get and they their curiosity has been built so i think really we need to go back to the to the K12 the K12 has abdicated in my opinion yes Fundamental role. And that is a crime because we are taking intelligent kids and we are wasting them. We are killing their interests. We are killing their curiosity. And I think that this is a tragedy. Now, where are the universities responsible? Well, we are responsible because the teachers are people that we graduated so we cannot escape our responsibility. We have not done a good job in educating the future teachers. Our society thinks that being a teacher in elementary school in a K-12 system is not such a big deal. No, it's a huge deal. It's a huge deal because that's how we build the, the society of the future. So to your question, what should we do? I think we really need to rethink our education. We need to make it more rigorous. We need to make it more exciting. We need to but ultimately we also need to be clear that learning is not always going to be easy i think that we are being curious is tough because so now i want to know why the sky is blue well there isn't a google answer it's a complex phenomenon where is the water going during the die it is a call com- i need to have the courage to enter a complex situation and i think that that's what our school need to teach they don't teach anymore enough discipline i think for this and i know that i sound really like an old guy at this point mm-hmm. but i think that the the discipline and the willingness to sit there is important. There is a piece of Gramsci. I know that Joy is very smiling because you he heard me quoting before. Gramsci, the founder of the Italian Communist Party, and everybody knows I'm certainly not a communist. But he once read, wrote a beautiful piece about studying Greek and Latin, and he was in prison when he wrote that piece. And he said, "We don't strike. We don't study Greek and Latin to, to 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 speak the languages. We don't study them to to translate. And we study because." of two reasons. First of all, because it tells us something about the civilization we come from, but also because we want to teach our kids the kind of psychophysical discipline that is gonna be indispensable for them to become the intellectuals that every society needs. It's the best expression of our faith in the value of intellectual work. He said they need the discipline because he says, otherwise it would be impossible for them to be sitting at their desk 10 hours a day which is what they will need to do when they grow up. Now, it's about discipline and it's about the value of intellectual work for a society. And Gramsci said it very clearly, for every society will need that. And I think that that's what we need to go back to, back to thinking that what we do in schools really matters. And we need to teach our kids discipline and we keep their curiosity alive. And we need exciting teachers. We need teachers that feel that passion. We need teachers that when they read uh, the Odyssey, have a tear coming out because they get captured by the beauty of what we are reading. Because the, the human sentiment that emerged from there is so strong that that, that shrinks their heart and that passion is translated to the children if we lose that then of course we will become machine but i know that we will not that's why i'm i'm ultimately an optimist in this
0: well I'm, I'm delighted to hear that that you believe that there's hope for intellectual curiosity and for people to to emotionally relate to uh to learning not just intellectually relate to learning and um uh, and hopefully, you know, the these technologies will make it a little easier for people to assimilate the baseline of knowledge that allows their minds to be able to go to the next level. Uh, we want to thank you so much for, for being on the Feudal Future podcast. And uh, we look forward to uh, seeing how all of
2: this works out. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure being with you. And it's always nice to see you both. Well, you, you'll see us in the flesh soon. <laughs> all right
0: here safe and safe travels okay. thank you you both take care